The views expressed on Science for the People are not necessarily the views of this station, its affiliates, sponsors, or advertisers. Hello and welcome to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders, and dear listeners, it is once again that time of year when we here at Science for the People get a couple of prolific readers to look back through the stacks of books they read this past year and pick from amongst them the best of the bunch. Here are the books they loved and the books you might consider picking up for yourself or for that science reader on your Christmas list. And, as in years past, if you don't have a touchscreen or a keyboard or an old-fashioned pen and paper handy to jot down all the excellent titles and authors we are about to throw at you, we have a blog post live on our website where you can find the complete list of books you'll hear about on today's show, including links to where you can buy them online. If you are thinking of buying one of these books or any book you heard about on a past episode, check out the bookshelf on our website where we keep all of them in one big collection for your perusal. And if you use our links to buy these books on Amazon, we get a little kickback, usually around 50 cents, for sending you over. So you can also use your Christmas shopping to support the show, free of charge. All of these links and lists will be up on our website, scienceforthepeople.ca, and we'll link to that book list in the show notes for this episode. With me is Joanne Manister, a faculty lecturer in biology at the University of Illinois School of Integrative Biology and a science educator and communicator who is also known as Science Goddess on Twitter. Joanne, lovely to have you here. Oh, I'm so glad you invited me. Thank you very much. And returning for another year of book recommendations is John Dupuy, who must by now be our official librarian in residence. John is a science and engineering librarian at the Stacey Science and Engineering Library at York University in Toronto and blogs at Confessions of a Science Librarian. John, always lovely to have you back. Fantastic to be back. So just to get us started, uh, let's maybe just quickly recap about how many science books have you read in the past year? Joanne, you want to start us off? Oh, wait, I should probably count. I, I, I'm going to say about 30 this year. John? I think about the same, about the same. And I, I mix in a fair, a fair number of you know, that's that's also including a fair number of children's books. I had a really bad year for science reading and reading in general, mostly because I moved across an ocean and got a new job and life has been a little bit hectic. So mine is, I think, like 15, which is a very poor showing for me. But some years are better than others. Uh, so how was 2017 overall for science books? Better, worse than the average showing? I'd say well, it's about average, right? I think like the 1990s weren't like the best time, but the 2000s and even in the 2010s, we're like seeing this incredible upsurge in really, really, really good books. Uh, people are writing great things. So um, I feel like 2016 was stellar. Um, so this year, if you compare to 2016, wasn't as good as that. But there were still some great books. Uh, John may have a different opinion. Well, I, I agree. It was it was a pretty good year. One difference, I think, between this year and some years is there wasn't really a buzz book. Uh, yes. Some years there's a book that everybody seems to be reading, and and there there just wasn't one of those. Uh, there just wasn't one of those books this year. I think if uh, Walter Isaacson had published his Da Vinci book earlier in the year, maybe that would have become the buzz book. Um, but because because he's written so many of those buzz books over the years. Um, but yeah, somehow that that book just doesn't seem to have kind of caught people's imaginations. And I think right. part of it is because, right, I think, you know, politics has kind of taken over the world this year in a way that, you know, pro you know, really hasn't happened in my lifetime. So I think that might have something to do with our perceptions of the science book world as well. 
I mean, oh, that's an excellent point, actually. And yeah, I think I ended up reading a lot more political and so- sociology based books this year versus actual science, you know, so my numbers may have been up to 45 science books if I hadn't been distracted. Do you find that's also true, John, that your reading habits have changed a little bit this year than maybe they were in previous years? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think we've all spent too much, way too much time transfixed by our Twitter feeds. Um, you know, probably thinking to ourselves, gee, I should just close this down and read a book instead. So yeah, certainly this year has been probably a little bit uh, lighter in the book reading category than other years. And I think the other, one of the other big changes this year is I find myself putting stuff on kind of my sort of science book list that I would have never even imagined in the past. Like one one book that I, I I found gave me a lot of lessons in how to live in 2017 as a science person was Timothy Snyder's On Tyranny, ah. which, again, seems inconceivable. But, you know, amongst his 20 lessons are things like defend institutions, remember professional ethics, believe in truth, investigate. I mean, how are those things not about science, right? How is, again, I can't even believe I'm saying this. But somehow we, we've ended up in a place where a book called On Tyranny seems to be about science, too. Yes, appropriately so. And uh, I found myself reading the book Evicted that won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction. I read it this year, came out last year. But uh, I felt like, that in a way, that's a sociology, which is science. It's talking about how, you know, communities are taking care of themselves or not. And I felt like that seemed timely, even though it wasn't directly related to politics. And, and then read a few things by, uh, about Russia and about Asia and the world. I, I felt like my, my view expanded to let, let's look at the world and see what could we be heading towards if uh, things don't go well here in America in the next few years. Even setting aside some of the political, specifically political things in terms of uh, some of the people that are in power right now, one of the books that I read this year uh, was The Cure for Catastrophe, How We Can Stop Manufacturing Natural Disasters by Robert Muir Wood. And that book is really about <sighs> history. Uh, it's about a lot of policy and politics and how we respond to and try to deal with uh, natural disasters when they happen. And that book, which is not necessarily one that I would have strongly considered before, but because of all of the natural disasters we've seen in the last year, it was one I was really drawn to to try and better understand how we're trying to manage these events and how we are sometimes creating them in kind of a weird way, or at least not making them better or less likely to happen. It was a really interesting read given the context of this year. Yeah. I, now, I don't know if either of you have read Not a Scientist, How Politicians Mistake, Misrepresent, and Utterly Mangle Science, but I found that one very appropriate. That one came out in April. And yeah, I read that one too, and, I, and that one's definitely on, on one of my favorite lists. I also read the Tom Nichols' The Death of Expertise this year, yes. and that one plays into a lot of the same the same kind of themes. Right. That, that, yeah, we're so there seems to be a contingent of the population that's so ready to think science scientists and other experts do not know what they're talking about. So what do you think overall, if you had to pick one favorite, and I know this is like picking a favorite child sometimes, but what was the best book you've read this year? Wow. I have to say Soonish. 
Bangladesh had 10 emerging technologies that will either improve or and or ruin everything by Zach and Kelly Wienersmith because it was funny, it was lighthearted, and they did a great job with the book. And it has cartoons. And that's definitely one of my to read next to catch up books. One of the ones that I, I kind of regret missing uh, this year. For me, the best book uh, that I read this year was uh, The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan. I have it. It's on my list of to read. How about that? It is It is an awesome book. Um, and living in Toronto on one of the Great Lakes, you know, it was, uh, you know, I think it was really an important book for Great Lakes people to read. And it basically, it's all about, in particular, since the start, since the 50s and 60s and the um, the St. Lawrence Seaway, just the waves of um, invasive species and pollution issues and all those things that have just washed over the Great Lakes uh, in the last 60, 70 years. It's just, it was, it was actually really fascinating. And interestingly enough, right, this is a, another one of those books where, uh, I guess it seems like it should be about environmental science, but it ends up being about politics a lot as well. Cause a lot of the decisions that impacted the grit that have impacted the Great Lakes over that time period were, were basically political decisions. And so, so I found it, I found it a, a really fascinating read. If I can sneak in a second favorite book, the one that I just finished literally last night, uh, Life and Code, A Personal History of Technology by Ellen Ullman. Um, you know, uh, just her, her ruminations on technology since the early nineties. It's, it was really fascinating to see, to go back in time and see what a really perceptive writer on technology. She got all the things that are killing us now in the 90s. Surveillance, commercialization of the web, you know, all of these, you know, uh, kind of the uh startup you know kind of some of the down down uh some of the disadvantages of the startup culture kind of you know the issues with sexism and technology these were all things that she was writing about in the 90s and uh and is still writing about now and i just i just thought it was a, a really really good book for the for our particular moment uh, in time if I had to pick one book that I read last year that was my top pick, it would probably have to be word by word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries. Uh, that book was just so fun to read and really fascinating to get an inner look at how dictionaries are written and how they're created and who edits them and the ideas behind what words to include, what words not to include, how to write definitions. Really fascinating book. Um, and I definitely absolutely endorse that book for just, just about anyone to read. You don't need a background in any kind of particular science. Uh, if you, if you know how to speak and know how to use words, you'll probably find this book interesting. <laughs> Sounds good. Now I'll add some move up some of my to read on the list uh, based on your recommendation of the death and life of the Great Lakes. It's been there waiting for me because of course, well, I'm in the middle of Illinois, but I visit Chicago a lot. The Great Lakes are important. So how about a book that pleasantly surprised you? Maybe you read it and you picked it up and you were like, okay, this will probably be okay. And then as you were reading, you're like, no, this is actually really good. So the book that the book that pleasantly surprised me was The Calculus of Happiness, How a Mathematical Approach to Life Adds Up to Health, Wealth and Love by Oscar Fernandez. It was um, one of the review books that occasionally land in my uh, mailbox. And often they just end up being these kind of silly, throwaway, waste of time books. Um, and so, but I read this one and I, I found it really fascinating. 
he does t- he takes kind of a mathematical analytical pro- approach to you know topics like falling in love and, and nutrition and exercise and personal finance and and I think he he did a really really good job in a in a I was in a way that I just wasn't expecting. I was expecting the book to be tiresome, but it was amusing. And so that was a real bonus. So uh, the book that I actually uh, surprised me this year was called The Gene Machine, How Genetic Technologies Are Changing the Way We Have Kids and the Kids We Have by Bonnie Rocheman. And she writes for Time and she writes for Parent Magazines. And uh, upon learning that, I thought, oh, well, you know, this these it could be sort of trite or really dumbed down, but no, it wasn't. It was a very accessible book, but I felt like she really addressed the genetic technologies very well. Um, in addition, there's another book that sort of came out at the same time called The Family Gene, A Mission to Turn My Deadly Inheritance into a Hopeful Future by Jocelyn Linder, and just about how her family carries a gene and sometimes it gets expressed in some of the family members. It's a rare disorder and how, you know, how her family has dealt with that and how she personally was able to dig into that. So I felt like as far as genetics go, those two books really worked well together. What about the funniest science book you read this year? Oh, that's easy because it's also my favorite was Soonish. Uh, very funny book. And in fact, I decided to listen to it on the airplane uh, when I was doing some traveling. And I did a spit take with some Coke um, because they were talking about they were really sort of hoping that fMRS, um, which is a neuroimaging method, was actually pronounced for misses. So they were sort of sad it wasn't for misses. <laughs> and they just started laughing and yeah, lost a little Coke on the plane there. Uh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's just funny throughout. They have a very unique way of looking at the world. They don't take even though these are important technologies and they give them the seriousness they're due, they don't take it too seriously. They realize making predictions about the future is, you know, not always going to be precise. I, I, do you have a funny book too? Uh, well, not a really well, funny book, but one that surprised me by being funny in a way that I didn't think it would be. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah. My, yeah, my mom, my mom said to me, she goes, that astrophysics for people in a hurry is very funny. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> my um, my one this year is Built on Bones, 15,000 Years of Urban Life and Death by Brenna Hassett. I've heard of it. It is a really interesting book and quite well written. And I learned a lot from that book. But it was also kind of surprisingly sassy, which I really enjoy. I love me a sassy pop science book, I gotta say. <laughs> What about you, John? So my my funniest science book of the year was uh, And Then You're Dead, What Really Happens If You Get Swallowed by a Whale, Are Shot from a Cannon, or, or Go Barreling Over Niagara. It was by Cody Cassidy and Paul Doherty. And it, it was it was truly hilarious. And it's all about these crazy ways, again, all about how the, the, the these crazy ways you can die and kind of taking this kind of detailed scientific analysis to, you know, at, you know, at what point being shot out of the cannon, are you going to die or <laughs> stuff like that? And I just, it's just, it's just hilarious and wonderful and, you know, just kind of a tonic for us. It, it, yeah, it's, it was just a wonderful book. What about science books for kids? Oh, uh, 
I am loving this series of four books uh, called the Sunlight Series by Penny Chisholm, who is a microbiologist at MIT. So she's like a marine microbiologist at MIT. And um, Molly Bang is the illustrator. And they began this series several years ago because it takes a long time to create a great children's book where you have a good story that works at the appropriate level, plus the accompanying illustrations. So, but this year they came out with their fourth of the series called Rivers of Sunlight. But the whole series is about how does the sun provide life on Earth, you know? So then you start with the photosynthesis and you begin with, you know, producing the oxygen we need and, and the life cycle, essentially, the water cycle, the, the carbon cycle, everything gets addressed eventually in these books and even how the weather is produced and bringing up controversial issues such as uh, our reliance on fossil fuels and things like that. It's really marvelous, beautiful, beautiful books, and I highly recommend them. So for me, there was kind of three series I um, I read this or read parts of this year. The f- I read the first book in a new series by Elise Gravel, um, Olga and the Smelly Thing from Nowhere. I read the, fr- I read the French version, Olga et le, mach- le Machin qui peut. And it's just awesome and funny. It's about this, it's about this little girl that wants to be a zoologist and she's just kind of grouchy and weird and wonderful and funny. It was a very good book. And I look forward to the uh, I look forward to the to the further to the further uh, episodes. I also read the second and third uh, episodes, uh, second third books in the Secret Coder series by Jean Luen Yang and Mike Holmes. Uh, again, just kind of, those are kind of exploring how to understand algorithms at a kind of a very basic beginner level, probably aimed at people that are maybe eight to 10 years old. Those are really well done for sure. And the, the one that came out this year through um, uh, Kickstarter, I think, program was the Science Wide Open books about women in biology, physics, and chemistry. There's three There's three uh, books that came out, and each one uh, profiles four or five women. Uh, really well done, great, great illustrations, aimed at probably uh, very young children, you know, three years old, four years old, to be read, uh, you know, with whoever's reading them their books. Great books, all of them. So these two next ones are two of my favorite categories to ask about. And the first one is a book you would give the person in your life who doesn't usually read science books. So if I had to choose from this year, um, I would probably give uh, Sam Keen's book, Caesar's Last Breath, Decoding the Secrets of the Air Around Us by Sam Keen. And I feel like that's because his work is very approachable and it mixes quirky history and uh, interesting scientific discoveries and the March of Time and things like that, all in one book. So it's I, I think his books are generally delightful. His books are very friendly. Very friendly. And the, the for me, it's um, The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of, of America's Shining Women by Kate Moore. It's, it is kind of a really depressing story. So maybe that in that sense, it's not the best book to give someone who doesn't usually read science books. But it was such a human story. And it was so, so well told. It's basically about the, the, the girls, the girls and women who worked for clock companies in the early part of the century, uh, the early part of the last century. And so, um, and so they would paint the dials of these with radium paint, a radium infused paint to make them glow in the dark. And so, and what they would do is they would, they would point, they would, they would point the brushes in their mouths. So they would, they would, you know, tip the brush in their mouth and then dip it in the paint. So they were actually ingesting a lot of the radium. And as you can imagine, that's a really bad idea. 
And it was the story is horrible. What happened to these to these girls and women? Often the, they were starting at 15, 16 years old, uh, working in these factories. It was quite well paid, and it, it, it's it's a heartbreaking story. But it was it's such an important story, and it was so well told that I I think any you know it would be a great book for people that don't usually read science books. And the reverse, a book you would give the avid science reader who has read everything. <laughs> okay, so I think. If uh, they have not read Robert Sapolsky's newest book, Behave, The Biology of Humans at Our Best and Worst by Robert Sapolsky, who is a favorite. He's very delightful in the way he writes. And this book sort of compiles all of what we know about genetics and neuroscience together and told in his, his wonderful way. And I feel like for someone who's maybe said, I've read all the neuroscience books, I know all of this, like reading his work is one way to look at it. Now, maybe they've already read that book. So I would probably recommend something like a coffee table book, like Theo Gray's book, his new book, Reactions as a follow-up to Molecules and Elements, uh, the previous two books he had. So at least then they have something that they could pick up and look at on occasion, even if they don't want to read a full book because they already have read everything. So for me, uh, there's kind of two books. Uh, one is The Carbon Code, How You Can Become a Climate Change Hero by Canadian Brett Favaro. And I thought that was kind of an interesting, that's kind of an interesting choice because it, it lays out kind of a, yeah, you know all this stuff, but what should you do about it kind of thing? which you don't see a lot of necessarily. I think maybe we're starting to see more of those kinds of books, but they tend to be more written from a point of view of like a Naomi Klein political manifesto. And this was kind of, so uh, Brett Favaro is a scientist. And so he comes at this from kind of the other direction. And, and so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to, again, to, you know, you've read all the climate change books now. Now, what are you going to do about it? And the other one, uh, a graphic novel series, uh, the Wasted Talent series by Angela Mellick. The last two, I read the last two volumes this year, uh, redesigned and professionally awesome. And so what, what, uh, the, what the author illustrator does is basically tell her life story as, uh, as an engineer from the first volume when she was a student all the way through to the, the final volume, uh, which was redesigned, basically, you know, uh, coming to someone in, you know, late 20s, early 30s, kind of a career uh, turning point, where to next. Um, and, you know, it's, that's, again, something that maybe is a little people wouldn't think to read, but uh, the, the whole series of books are terrific. And in particular, those last two are well worth reading. The book I think I would recommend this year to someone who's read pretty much everything is called The Death and Life of the Single Family House, Lessons from Vancouver on Building a Livable City by Nathaniel Louster. And this isn't technically a pop science book, um, which means it's a little more expensive than your standard book, but I found it really fascinating to read. It's very readable, uh, even though I think it's more geared toward academia than it is towards a layperson audience. But it's very readable and it's um, really deconstructed a lot of myths I think we have sometimes about cities and how they come to be, things like zoning, um, the history of these kinds of policies in municipal areas. And also, if you're Canadian, it deconstructs a lot of ideas that I certainly held and I think a lot of us hold about Vancouver and some of the stuff that's going on there. Um, I found it really fascinating and I think uh, a lot of people would be really into this book and it's definitely not one that really you hear about. All right. So what are you reading right now? I'm reading right now a book called Cat Zero. It's a galley. So it comes out in January. 
It's Cat Zero by Jennifer Roan, and she is a scientist, I think, at University College London. I could be wrong on that, but she is definitely in London. And she writes what she has called lab lit, laboratory literature. And so uh, Cat Zero is sort of the play on the word, the phrase patient zero. And it's about a disease that begins in cats and a researcher who happens to be studying uh, the common cat diseases, FIV and feline leukemia virus. So the book is really, it's written like a regular novel, but with scientists and their life in science as the core characters. So we really get to see what's in there. So as with my life in academia, I can really get into this. And, and it is written in such a way that I would even give it to my mother and say, hey, I think you would still like this book, even though it's got, it's revolving around science. It's not just like, oh yeah, there's a scientist who does some things that get inserted into some novel. The scientist is central to the book. And so I, I'm really enjoying it. So I hope it does well for her. So for me, the, the fiction book that I started uh, just this morning on the bus to work is uh, Stiff by Mary Roach. And that, that's her book about uh, cadavers. So I always use this uh, this little time, uh, December, January, in between when we um, record this episode and when the 2017 version, well, 2018 books start to hit. Uh, to actually catch up a little bit on some of the older science books that I that I missed. And so right now, um, uh, and I read my first Mary Roach book last year, as you may recall, and it was awesome. So I'm going to try catching up a little bit on on Mary Roach. And even just 10 pages in, uh, Stiff seems like it's going to be a hoot. Worth uh, your the, time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And the, the fiction book that I'm reading is The Back of the Turtle uh, by Thomas King, a, a Canadian First Nations writer. And it's kind of a post-catastrophe lablet, and it, it, it weaves in themes of colonialism and scientific ethics and, you know, personal responsibility and guilt. And, you know, I'm all, yeah, anyways, it's also kind of gentle and funny at the same time. Uh, Thomas King is a wonderful, wonderful writer. And so he can be kind of funny and gentle and bitingly sarcastic at the same time, sometimes in the same sentence. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it won the Governor General's Award uh, here in Canada a few years ago. And it's um, definitely well worth reading. I've definitely found reading his, some of his other work that he, makes you think about things that maybe your gut instinct is to push away uh, without pushing away from them. He somehow makes them slot into your brain a little easier. And I think that's partly because his writing style is so gentle mm. and so funny. And, and mm. you know, he just, he you know, he is literally, he's literally that, that, you know, that guy you're having lunch with and who just, again, yeah, like you say, he can just make you think about things that are uncomfortable and he can make you really think deeply about things that are uncomfortable. So he can introduce discomfort in a in a non-threatening way, maybe? Is that a way to put it? I'm almost know, thinking he can introduce discomfort in a way that feels a bit comfortable. And that yeah. is a bit strange. But at first, it kind of like, because the way it's presented, it's kind of, it doesn't really strike you as, as uncomfortable until you sort of roll around with it in your head for a little bit. And then you're like, huh, actually. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable I'm here. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable <laughs> here. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I think that's probably the better way to put it. So yes. <laughs> A, a, ter a terrific book. And I think it is definitely, you know, it is it is about science and scientists. This is kind of a post-catastrophe novel, a mini-catastrophe, not a global catastrophe, but it's uh, really well done. 
So when you look out on the horizon of books for 2018 that you see coming, uh, which ones excite you the most to go and pick up? This I, I am excited for um, the new book by Carl Zimmer called She Has Her Mother's Laugh, The Powers, Perversions, and Potential of Heredity. Um, because I feel like it's important that people know what can genes really do or not do? What do they really influence? And, you know, based on what we know about all the genes we have discovered, especially thanks to the gene, Human Genome Project, but what can they do? And then there's also another book uh, coming out by David Quammen, another fantastic writer, The Tangled Tree, A Radical New History of Life. And he was actually on the University of Illinois campus uh, a year and a half ago doing research about Carl Woese, who helped discover the third branch in the tree of life, the archaea. And so he's discussing not just about car woes, but this whole, how do we uh, divide life into uh, understandable segments? And how has that changed along with uh, the discovery of uh, understanding the genomes? So I'm not as forward looking as Joanne, but I'll, I'll second the Carl Zimmer and David Quammen motions for sure. You can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that is all the time we have today. Uh, thank you so much, John and Joanne, for your book recommendations. This has been really fun. And now my stack of books to read is so much taller. <laughs> I'm really glad you invited me. Thank you very much. I love nothing more than talking about books. Absolutely. Once again, thanks. If you want that list of books we talked about today, you can find a link to the blog post with that list and links where you can buy the books in the show notes for this episode, which will be at our website, scienceforthepeople.ca. Next up, Bethany and I don some Santa hats and survey the internets for the best nerdy science and math-themed gifts we can find. More gift ideas when we return, so stay tuned. Science for the People is a weekly radio show and podcast that explores everyday life from a scientific perspective. We are a member of the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on science and critical thinking. To find out where Science for the People airs near you, or to listen to past episodes, check out our website at scienceforthepeople.ca. You'll also find links to support us at Patreon, to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders. Hey, Bethany. Happy Hanukkah. Hey, Rochelle. Happy candle season. Decorative candle season. <laughs> Decorative candle season. So you like receiving nerdy gifts, right? I mean, I do. I actually like giving nerdy gifts even more than I like receiving them because I don't like owning a lot of things, but I love looking at awesome nerdy gifts and getting them for all my friends. Don't well, you? But I bet sometimes you have trouble figuring out what nerdy science gifts to give your friends, don't you? Oh, the struggle is real. Well, that's why we're here. As we've done for the last couple of years, we wanted to help y'all out with your holiday shopping by scouring the internets for the nerdiest, coolest, scienciest gifts we could find. So let's get started. For those of us who are on the crafty end, um, I am a crocheter, not a knitter, um, but I love looking at knit patterns and I love getting kind of knitting and crocheting assignments um, for the holidays myself. It's like when people say, oh, please make me this thing. I'm like, yes, this is the greatest gift you could give me. More work. But I really mean it. <laughs> um, and so I love this Etsy um, shop called Anatomy. That's a <laughs> and great name. It is. And it's anatomy in knitwear. And it's wonderful. But it's not knitwear. It's actually a sampler kind of style. Um, and they have this fantastic knitted anatomical study of the inner ear. Oh, my it's gorgeous. It's so cool. 
It's quite accurate. I mean, relatively speaking, um, you know, it, it's it's a little hard to create a full 3D organ of Cordy, um, but it's, it's beautiful. And the, there's a neurological study in wool. They're really stunning. I love the the knitted dissections as well. That's those are really really fun. Yeah, there's the uh, the famous actually uh, half dissected frog knit pattern. That's, <laughs> That's always a good one. And not only that, you can get the patterns for yourself. Or if you're not a knitter and you think you know someone who would really love these, you can actually buy one that's completed, which is cool. Yeah, though they are a bit expensive. Yes. But if you've got the money and you don't have the time, it's a good option. It is. And I have to say, like, the bisected human head in yarn would make a fantastic wall hanging. Yes, definitely. So uh, what about nerdy uh, tech gifts? Um, Robot and, like, build your own robot and program your own robot stuff, both for kids and adults, is super big this year. And there's uh, the Spheros, which are these little balls, kind of like uh, BB-8 in the Star Trek. The Star Trek. Oh, Star I'm gonna Trek. Get, I'm going to get so oh. many angry messages. Oh, <laughs> BB-8. You did not. <laughs> BB-8 from Star Wars. This uh, is the angry message you're getting from me right now, Rochelle. He's a little, he's got a little gyroscope in it and you can program it to do certain types of things. So there's lots of existing apps and games that you can play with them. There's one where you can like sit it in, uh, you can put your iPhone on a little stand and control it with your face. That sounds crazy, but really cool. Um, but you can also like create mazes or puzzles and program the, the little robot with, um, JavaScript, which is again, another great way to mess around and learn JavaScript, especially for a kid who maybe has not done a bunch of it before. I also really like it because it is, it's just this little ball and, you know, you do a lot of work with it on your phone. And I just love how different it is. You know, like a lot of robots are kind of like default human shaped, or sometimes they're like dog shaped or drone shaped. This is just a ball. And I will say you don't have to go into the programming and JavaScript stuff. There are apps that will help you control this little thing. And if you have a cat, I feel like you should get one of these immediately. Oh, man, that would be perfect. perfect. I need one now. Perfect. Uh-huh. Oh, no, dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who are not so much into programming, but want to do some cool tech stuff, there's this really awesome wireless endoscope that you can buy on Amazon. And it's really cool. It hooks up to your phone. Um, It sends signal to your phone. And so what you do is you take the endoscope and you can use it as a magnifier. You can get it close to things. Um, you can also send it down tubes. So, you know, it could be useful for that blocked drain, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also you can use it for awesome science-y explorations. Um, for example, I actually know a scientist who works up in um, Massachusetts. He's studying fiddler crab burrows and he's using this wireless endoscope to like drive down a fiddler crab burrow and see if the crab is home (laughs) because it's got a little camera in the tip. And so he's actually been able to spot, you know, whether a crab is home by like using little endoscope down, uh, down the burrow, which is really awesome. Yeah. I mean, when I think of endoscopes, I usually think of like, it's going down your throat. Maybe don't do that. Like, yeah, maybe keep it to non-human orifices. Yeah, I don't think that's this is that kind of endoscope. It's probably not the right kind of sanitized and whatever else yeah. has to happen to a to a thing. Yeah, don't don't do that. You know, leave that to the doctors. Yeah. Um, but for other things, you can hook up to your iPhone. Um, there's or your smartphone. There's awesome uh, smartphone microscopes, 
and they hook up to your smartphone camera. You just kind of clip them on in a lot of cases. Um, and they can be used to magnify whatever it is you're holding in your hand or taking a picture of. And I actually have one of these. I have a pretty cheap one. And I just keep it in my purse and just whip it out all the time, which is, I guess, says a lot about me. As- <laughs> It's really awesome. <laughs> it's really cool to be able to take a closer look at something. I also found one uh a, I also found one while searching for cool gifts where you can hook it up to telescope so it's like a holder that connects to telescope so that you can take Ooh. photographs of the things that you can see through a telescope which is super cool. Yeah. Well, and they're just really fun also because you can take photographs and video. You know, it's not just a view thing. You can really save what you're looking at. But what kinds of sciency clothing can you get for your nerdy friends. I just feel like one of the biggest things about the holiday tradition is the, you know, important historic uh, thing known as the ugly Christmas sweater. Oh, yes. That is, uh, by the way, huge in the UK. You aren't celebrating Christmas properly unless you have an ugly Christmas sweater. Well, you know, Queen Victoria celebrated the first uh, hideous, ugly Christmas sweater party in uh, just the early 1800s, and it was a a massive success. True facts. Yeah, totally true facts. <laughs> um, so I love this one from Amazon because it's a chemistry. Get Aww. it? Oh, chemistry. Oh, chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cute. It's actually not a sweater. It's a long sleeve t-shirt, which is good for those of us who are stuck in warmer climes. So I think it's pretty cool looking. And it's only like 13 to $16, which is an awesome buy, honestly. I love this one, uh, which is Arrow 404 Christmas Sweater Not Found, which all of you <laughs> comp sci people will adore. Uh, and it is exactly as lovely as you think it is. It's got some great like little page not found graphics on it. It's very ugly Christmas sweatery, and it's just great fun. I love this one. And it has that that healthy dose of winter cynicism. Yep. You need that. That's important. Very- Gets yeah. you through the jolly time of year. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually, uh, there's this great science shirt on Etsy and I was all prepared to love it because it's got, you know, a DNA strand and some flasks and pie and like some trees and it's all in like red and white and it looks kind of cool. And then record scratch, the elements are ho, 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 which is not, ho is not an element. So this you can use as a test to test all your friends to see which ones are truly sciency, because those people will spot and be in- instantly indignant. And those who are not sciency will be like, oh, that's just really cool. I love that element. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are my favorite element. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also the really, truly nerdy among us will be able to determine whether the DNA strands are left or right-handed. That is true. See, you can do mm-hmm. all kinds of teaching just by wearing uh, this great like Christmas science Rorschach test. Exactly. Uh, I also found a pair of anatomical bone socks, which just are great. They're also labeled, so you can look down at your feet and uh, your calves and figure out what the bones are there and what they're called, including on the bottom of your foot. They're really cool. Uh, they are really, really neat looking. I really think I need a pair, actually. They would go perfectly with my boots. And who doesn't like to receive socks in their stocking? It's true. I mean, it's I, you called know, a stocking. These are like the good socks. These are not, these are not like the, oh man, I got socks again this year. No, they're, they're actual good socks. 
Um, I really love this t-shirt um, that's available on Etsy. It's an anatomical heart t-shirt, but it's not just like an anatomical drawing of the heart. No, it's made up of all of the names of the parts of the heart in the correct anatomical location. It's so, really cool. You know, at the bottom, you have right ventricle and left ventricle. And then going across, you have the anterior cardiac vein. I mean, it, it's really gorgeous and so educational. And I love that stuff. If you really <laughs> like word art, it's this will be right up your alley. It, it, yeah, it's like one of those word clouds, except in an actual correct shape. With some really nice fonts. It's great. I want to plug one of my favorite science shopping venues. It's called Svaha USA, S-V-A-H-A USA. Um, and they make clothing for women and kids um, that is all science inspired. So they, uh, the women's dresses in particular are fantastic because they come in a massive range of sizes. I think they're extra small up to, I think, three or four X um, maybe even higher. And they are all cotton, which is great. They all have pockets. Wait, wait, usable pockets? Usable pockets. Oh, that right there. Yup. They're awesome. So they're cotton, they're machine washable, they all have pockets, and they have these awesome patterns. So there's a new one they have that has uh, dinosaur skeletons all over it. <laughs> Oh, I love these. I own a bunch of these, actually. I own one that's covered in gears. I own one that's covered in neon green circuit boards. I have one with a glow-in-the-dark octopus on it. Oh, I love the DNA fingerprinting one. That's cool. Yes! And some of them uh, glow-in-the-dark. So there's the -the glow-in-the-dark octopus. There's glow-in-the-dark jellyfish, glow-in-the-dark neurons. And they have everything that they have in the women's sizes they have in kids. So they have kids' dresses, but they also have kids' t-shirts. And they also have baby onesies (gasps) so great when my niece was born she got a whole selection of baby science onesies and it was awesome because it was the Bohr model of the of the atom so i also got to make my brother-in-law kind of annoyed because he's a theoretical physicist these are all very affordable actually as well yes affordable cotton so they're really non-irritating and i mean machine wash so yay yeah there's no downside here people should buy many of these uh, on the subject of really cool science and math dresses, there's another company called Chenova that has a women in STEM line. Same kind of idea, more expensive. These run somewhere between $150 and $200. Uh, they have some really cool designs and some really nice looking dresses, though. Along the same lines, they don't appear to have pockets, so that is a strike against them. Um, but they look really cool, and a lot of these are really sweet dresses that you could easily wear to a cocktail party. Uh, so I think these are super cool. I want a sciency dress. Yeah, you sent me a link to the Jupiter dress, which has the patterns of Jupiter on it, and it's really gorgeous. They also have a dark matter dress, which looks uh, fantastic. It's really, really nice. Ooh. So one could spend a lot of money in these stores. Someday my entire wardrobe will be all science-themed, honestly hashtag life plans. (laughs) All right. What about things to decorate your home? Because everybody likes home decoration and artsy things. Well, I am a huge fan of these solar system planet pillows. They're amazing. (laughs) You can buy these giant, well, they're not giant. They're, I don't know, based on the photo, it looks to be about two size, two times the diameter of a small child's head pillows. (laughs) So, like, that's sofa cushion size, roughly. Um, And each of them is a different planet. 
and they're really cool looking and I can just see you getting all of them and just piling them up on your bed and just like, you know, falling asleep in the solar system every night. You can get the whole set. It's a bit expensive. So you might want to just start collecting them over a period of time. That seems like an excellent plan. I think the set is about $230, but you can get an an individual one for between 20 and 40 bucks. So I think just every Christmas you could buy your secret Santa a new solar system pillow until they have the entire set. But make sure you start with Uranus. (laughs) Definitely. Totally. I have a soft spot for Schrodinger cat stuff. And so I found the Schrodinger's cat wanted poster art print, which I really like. I just, it's a really great little print. Um, I love the colors in it. It's just really cute. I adore it. It's on Etsy. Go look at it. Um, there's also a Schrodinger's cat plush on Think Geek, where one side oh, is a live so cat cute. and the other side is a dead cat. And I want one on my sofa so badly. It's so adorable. I also love that um, the Schrodinger's cat wanted poster. It's it's just a really nice design and and very classy looking for the fact that half of it's a dead cat. And it's actually not expensive. It's about fourteen dollars. Yeah, it's um, uh, for the smaller size. It's great. I it's something that I would very happily hang up in my house. Um, so as a as a total brain nerd myself, I, I am one of those horrible people who doesn't use coasters. But if I did, I would totally use these brain specimen coasters. It's a whole set of coasters. And it's the human brain sliced. So each one is a slice. And if you line them up in the right order, you get a full, you know, set of brain slices going from top to bottom of these. the brain um, with the anatomy in there. It's It's really cool looking. And maybe I'm the kind of person who uses coasters now. These coasters, even if you don't use coasters, even just as a, an art piece to keep in your house, I think I think they need to be purchased. Yes, yeah. So I feel terrible the instant I ever like broke one because they are glass. Like, what if you just you know broke the thalamus? You'd feel like a horrible person. <gasps> oh, you'd have to buy a whole new set. Then you'd have then you'd have extras for when you broke another one. You just hand out thalamuses to people randomly. <laughs> That's pretty great. I want to talk about Stanley Printhouse on Etsy because these are so cool. Uh, I have, if you're, if you're a little bit of a hipster and if you really like patent drawings and that like style of art, uh, that went with sort of patents and, and inventions and stuff like that, um, Stanley Printhouse on Etsy has a massive collection of patent-inspired art. Uh, you can get them on canvas, you can get just the prints, you can get them framed, and they are fantastic. And there are so many cool things in here. I really like the engineer slide rule, and I really, really love the headphones. They're just so cool. Um, there's also I really ones- love the microscope. Yes. The microscopes they have, because they're really detailed. It's It's beautiful to look at. They also have a jet engine, which is super cool. And if you're a sci-fi nerd, they have a whole selection of fantasy and sci-fi ones as well. So they've got like the Millennium Falcon done in this style. They're really, really neat. Uh, the canvas ones can be quite pricey, but you it really spans the range. If you want to get a print and frame it yourself, uh, they run from, you know, you can get them for about $10. Um, if you want to go all out and get someone a massive something on canvas, you're going to pay over $100. But they're they're just gorgeous. They're really stunning. So if you're into science art, you may well have heard of Artologica, um, who is a friend of mine. She's a really fantastic watercolor artist, and she does all sorts of science-inspired watercolor art. So she can do gigantic uh, watercolor prints of microbes 
which are really cool. She has all different types and they come in all these different colors. Um, she did a whole series of neurons. Um, she sells chiffon printed scarves with some of her prints on them, including one that's super popular. It's an EKG. Nice. <laughs> Which I think is really awesome. I actually commissioned a triptych from her um, fairly recently of three different kinds of neuron. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And I cannot wait to get them framed and put them in my dining room. And if you're into getting something super small, say for your work, Secret Santa or something, she makes sets of Christmas ornaments, which are watercolor microbes and brains in Petri dishes that are hung with Christmas ornament hooks. That is so super you can cool. Have science Christmas ornaments. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. And if you want a sciencey themed Christmas tree, that's a good place to start. Yes, and she usually sells her stuff on Etsy, but I think she also has a Redbubble site, which is great because some of her prints she's put into chiffon shirts. So you can have like a microbe shirt that is actually like work appropriate for your office. And I wear mine all the time and I get lots and lots of compliments. Do you give stockings at Christmas time or do you know people who like stocking stuffers? I mean, who doesn't? And stocking stuffers are often kind of hard because you often end up like it has to be kind of small and it often has to be kind of a low price point, but also you just have to fill the whole stocking. And these days, is it just me or are stockings getting bigger and bigger and bigger over time? Yes, people, there is definitely a case of stockings getting larger. Stocking Uh, inflation. Stocking inflation. (laughs) Yes, that is the technical term that everyone should use. But nobody's feet are that big. <laughs> but stockings are important. And they're one of my favorite parts of Christmas. And I love getting nerdy things in my stocking. So I want to talk first about these amazing pencils at Newton and the Apple on Etsy. Uh, there are there are these little sets of uh, basic pencils that have something written on the side. And they come in packs of five that are kind of themed. So there's maths pencils that talk about different kind of math things. There's the grammar ones, which I really really love that have very specific grammar notes on them. So if you have like someone who's super into grammar and always corrects your grammar, these are the perfect gift for them. Uh, there's sciencey ones, Morse code, where all the things written on them are in Morse code. They're just really, really fun. I personally like the uh, plural animal noun set, yes. which includes things like a tower of giraffes and a stand of flamingos. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, those are great. I think I might need a set. Um, I personally really love this uh, practice lock set for the budding lock picker in your life. Look, locks are cool. Knowing how to pick locks is actually super useful, okay? I'm not saying that we're all aspiring burglars, but this is a practice lock set and it's transparent. So you can actually see what you're doing and kind of you know, carefully correlate the feeling of the lock changing with what you can actually see that you're doing. And it's got like lock pick tools for beginner and advanced locksmiths. I think that's pretty awesome. What I love about this is you can actually see how the lock works. And anytime you take something that's always kind of like black boxy today in the day and age, like everybody uses locks, nobody thinks about really how they work. And this is one of those times where you can actually like put the key in, turn it, see what's happening. And anytime that you could do that I always get super into it when you reveal the kind of hidden mundanity around things that we use every day. I love that. And I think I could definitely use some practice with this because a 
uh, lock on one of my old trunks got very tragically busted the other week and we could not figure it out. I was turning pins with bobby pins all left and right for like an hour and nothing happened. And if I'd practiced with this lock set, maybe I would have gotten it open. You could break into your own case. Yes. I want to call out these two um, kind of encryption cipher tools that I found that I think would be really fun to put in like a, a kid's stocking or a teenager's stocking, something kind of really different. Um, one of them is based off the Enigma machine. So it's the Enigma 2 encryption machine. Um, and the other one is a classic uh, Caesar cipher medallion. So uh, they're just really fun little things that you can pop into a sock into a stocking, teach uh, kids about cryptography, and then they have they can start like writing encoded notes to their siblings or to their friends. I just think you'd get a, a lot of fun out of these that maybe you wouldn't expect. And I just love the classic Caesar cipher medallion because it's exactly like what people used to get in like cereal boxes back when you could get cool things in cereal boxes. <laughs> yes, it does have that feel to it and it would fit perfectly inside a stocking. I also want to call out Sugru. You may have heard of this. It's basically moldable glue. So it's it turns into the – it's flexible. You pull it out of the package, and it's super flexible, and you can kind of mush it around almost like Silly Putty. Uh, and you have 30 minutes to kind of mold it into what you want. And then it starts to set and turns into a durable but still flexible silicone rubber. And so you can do lots of cool stuff with this. You can do things like repair cables, so repair USB cables. Um, you, can, you can just kind of mush it around and kind connect it to things, um, add like little extensions on to say you broke off a handle, um, you could add a little extension on and it ends up sticking to it and kind of becoming a firm and usable tool. There's some great videos on this stuff. Uh, you can get it um, at, at Amazon. I'm sure there's some shops around you where you can get it from. Uh, the stuff's really cool. Uh, I want to get some and play with it. It looks really neat. So we talked about clothing before, but we didn't talk about jewelry and accessories. You're never fully dressed without some science. True story. Yep. <laughs> and I really, I've seen a lot of these around. Um, infinity scarves are very in and have a lot of cool places that have sciency patterns for their infinity scarves. This one that uh, that we found that's a math infinity scarf, and what I really like about it is not necessarily that it's just mathy, which it is, but also that it's on a kind of blackboard green color, so it really is sort of evocative of like chalk on a blackboard. I really love this one. Well, and that particular color actually goes with a lot of different other colors. Like it, it sticks easily with a lot of neutrals. You can pair it with brown. You can also pair it with black, and it's not going to be a problem. Definitely. So, yeah, it, it's good when you don't know somebody's color scheme very well. <laughs> um, also, I uh, really love uh, Svaha, the company that I mentioned before that makes the science dresses. They have a whole set of science infinity scarves as well, including one that's covered in caffeine molecules. Yay! Which is my own personal favorite thing. Who doesn't want some uh, science clothing and accessories with caffeine molecules? We all we all love caffeine here. I mean, really, you might as well live your dreams. <laughs> yep. And actually, Artologica, who I also mentioned before, uh, makes a lot of her uh, science art into scarves. And they're really pretty. They tend to be these kind of beautiful, dreamy watercolor kind of colors with, you know, pyramidal neurons stretching up the length of the scarf or the EKG. She has one that's all red blood cells. That one's really cool. One of the things I love about her store is everything is really sciencey, but also super feminine, which you don't see a lot in super sciencey stuff. 
Yeah, it's very kind of I, I like to me watercolors are very dreamscape like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I actually own a bunch of her stuff and and I love that about it. I found uh, if if you've got someone special in your life and you want to spend a little bit more, I found a really cool seller on Etsy who's doing uh, what's called a wide sound wave ring. So they'll custom make a silver ring uh, with a it's like a five second sound message. So you send in a five second clip of something that you're saying, uh, so a message like I love you or hey or you're great or whatever and they take that waveform and put it on the ring and that's like a really cool personalized gift that just seems really like a neat idea. I just I adore this. It's so romantic to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just and it's kind of like a secret message then as well because you see some rings where an actual message is inscribed on it, but I like this cuz it's both kind of public but also kind of private. I also have the strong urge to get one made that has the whole one ring to rule them all thing on it <laughs> in Soundwave. Oh, nerd interests collide. It's true. Um, so let's, we've almost run out of time, but let's finish with some general nerdy slash science, uh, just gifts that don't really fit into any specific category, but are really cool. I'm a huge fan of I Heart Guts. Um, you may have heard of the uh, giant microbes phenomenon, which is the plushy microbes, which are awesome. These are giant guts, giant anatomical parts that are stuffed. So, for example, you can get a giant stuffed cervix, because why not? You can get a prostate. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have love. a testicle. <laughs> Yes, it's so great. And you can get a heart of gold, a metallic gold plushie. Oh, I love them. They're so cute. If you like the plush microbes, you will love these. I I love them. I love the hearts, uh, the pancreas plushie. (laughs) The testicle plush is great, I think, because the way that the anatomy is arranged. It kind of looks like he has like this Elvis-like pompadour on top of his head. Oh, if you go to the next page, there's a skin plush that shows you the different layers of skin, and he's got a little hair follicle poking out the top of him. So cute! So cute. I love them. I fell in love with this link you sent. Balloon dog anatomy. (laughs) It's so great! It's It's an anatomy model of a dog made out of made to look like it's made out of balloons <laughs> it's so <laughs> but i think it's, it's actually plastic though isn't it it's not yes yeah it's, it's not actually balloons i i think that'd be very difficult i think it but comes it's apart great balloon dog i'm pretty and- sure it comes apart and you can disassemble all the anatomical parts and then put them back together that is just glorious. It's so cartoony and adorable. It's great. That, I think, is uh, us getting you well on your way to getting all of your nerdy friends really cool Christmas gifts this year, or Hanukkah gifts, or Kwanzaa gifts, or just fun gifts because you like them and you like their face. Or you end up just like treating yourself like crazy. That's also an option. Oh, yes. Uh, Self-care at Christmas is definitely uh, an important thing to keep in mind, and no one should ever feel guilty for buying themselves a little Christmas gift. Absolutely not. I think I need about half of these things. Thanks, Bethany. This has been super fun and we'll do it again next year. Yeah, thank you. Have great holidays, everybody. If you heard something on this episode, either book or other type of nerdy gift that you think would be perfect for that special someone on your to buy for list this year, but didn't have a chance to jot it down, you can head on over to our website, scienceforthepeople.ca, where we have created a blog post with neatly organized lists of every recommendation you've heard on the show today, and links to where you can buy them. 
And if you do use our links to buy cool gifts for your friends and family, we get a little kickback from some of the shops for helping you find it. So with every gift you buy, you help us out too. You'll find these blog posts of gifty goodies linked from the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to get science for the people a little something this year, a little token of your appreciation, say, we bashfully suggest you consider becoming one of our Patreons. For as little as $1 per month, that's only $12 per year, you can help us keep the lights on and the bandwidth unclogged. In return, we regularly send out extra bits of interviews that didn't make the final cut. So really, you're getting yourself a little Christmas gift too. Two gifts for the price of one. Bargain. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Science for the People. Science for the People is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. Helen Quivillon is our publishing liaison. We get research help from Josh Witten and consulting support from Desiree Shell. Our frequently seen guest hosts are Marion Kilgour, Anika Hazra, and Jessica Yaros. Our theme song is called Binary Consequence, and it was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern. Science for the People is entirely listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount, or you can send us a one-time donation in any amount via the donate page of our website. Science for the People is created in partnership with the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on the intersection of science, popular culture, politics, and social justice. You can find out more about Skeptic at skeptic.org. The show is hosted by science news writer Bethany Brookshire and me, Rochelle Saunders.